Dave. Hi, Matt. Hey, we better acknowledge right out the gate because uh, so much happens in a week that we are recording this intro a week in advance. We are. We are. We are. So because we're we're taking trips. We're 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 exploring. Yes. Work is slowly coming back. Our beloved Renee, our beloved Renee, and her mm-hmm. uh, iconic dog Tugboat are off for an adventure in Oregon. Much, yep. w- much needed and super well deserved getaway. Yep. So here we are, and we just acknowledge that because if you're listening to this, wondering like, why haven't they? Why aren't they talking about the fact that I don't know, like a public figure died of COVID or something? I don't right. know. I'm just pulling things yeah. out of my ass. It could ha- listen. It could happen. It could happen. Yeah. Um, Prayers work. Yeah, so we are we are fully not correct. Like it's you were filming, you know, seven days before it'll come out. I don't know what I don't. I have no feel for the shape and the texture of the world that this episode will drop into. Everything is so fluid and um, fucking wild. Uh, so who knows? Um, if you've had a terrible week, if something awful and traumatic happened, um, we don't know about it yet. So I hope we can be, <laughs> I hope this transmission from the world of a week ago, uh, will be comforting to you. Um, That's right. I gotta say, Matt, I'm just going to point this out in, in lockdown, we have both become chains outside the t-shirt boys. Oh, 100%. I mean, I have, yeah. th- th- yes, I, you know, I've been, uh, uh, leaning into the chain identity. Yeah. Since January. Okay, uh, yeah. Sh- shout out to the 10 Jewelry. Uh, they're back in business. Follow them on Instagram. Great, um, great, great. And I am so thrilled. Because when I will say that when I got this and wasn't sure if I could pull it off, you were very supportive. But you said, what I do know is that I will never be able to pull one off. And look yeah. at you now. Well, I, it's, on, it's on me. I don't know if I'm pulling it off. But I, but I am one, wearing oh, it. Please. And I enjoy it. I like it. I like it now. I'm a chain boy, and I love it. I love it. I'm chain boy. Hear me roar. Helen Reddy, rest in peace. I mean, people are going to go bananas when they finally get a look at you with this outside the shirt chain look. When I can Mm reemerge into the world. Um, You know, I did did, uh, sort of reemerge last weekend. Um... And uh, and saw some live theater for the first time since live? all of this happened. Yes. What the um, hell are you talking about? Went to some drive-up live theater. Um, it was a show called 5711 Avalon. I'm pretty sure that's the title. Um, and it opens, I think it opens this weekend, um, or the weekend that this will, will drop. It's uh, the Slauson Theater Company, um, which incidentally contains Shia LaBeouf, right? So um, uh-huh. it's like a, a, a theater company and they, um, it, it was, I got a, a press release that Shia LaBeouf directed this show and do I want to go see it and then maybe interview him and whatever. And I was like, sure. And then immediately uh, the PR company was like, it was directed by all of them. They all directed it. So clearly Shia called in a, in a rage for being like singled out because- he probably, you know, he's going through the thing where he hates that and he's trying to get back to his roots in yeah. theater and whatever. Yeah. So it is set at uh, a COVID testing facility. It's a day in the life of a COVID testing facility uh-huh. um, that is being profiled on the news. So so you drive in and you back into a thing. And uh, oh, by the way, 
they uh, we got it was an eight o'clock show. We showed up at like five to eight, and uh, and everything was closed up. And um, and I was like, "Hi, I'm here for the show." And and they were like, "We're about to start." And I was like, "Yes, that's why I'm. That's why I'm here. Sure. I am here yeah. to see the thing that you are about to start. So can I?" Um, and it was like everyone made a huge big deal out of it. I don't know if I was supposed to have been there early. I never got anything to that effect. Um, so showed up at seven fifty five for an eight o'clock show. I think that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, more than tense. fine. People are tense. So there was a space left for us. We went in, backed in. Um, you then tune into uh, an FM channel. Mm-hmm. And and then the show starts and it's all around you and it's you know it's a COVID testing facility that the news is there to cover so sometimes the action is happening in front of you and you you know you're hearing it on the radio and then if it's if they go around to another corner or if they're in a tent or whatever they're also they're being followed by a camera person so the um, what is happening is is projected onto walls or screens or whatever all around you so um, so it's just little vignettes it's essentially COVID Tony and Tina's wedding. But you don't have to participate. You're just there. I'm in. So it's uh, honestly, I mean, you know, the the everyone's in PPE with masks. You can't, you know, you only see the faces of the people who are driving through to be tested. And it's little, you know, little slices of life passing through and, and all that. And, of course, there's a Karen who, like, won't wear a mask. And there's, you know, all the predictable stuff. But it was it was just good to see live theater again. You know, and yeah. see some people who are just like, we are dying to, we are, this is killing us not to perform. We got to put a show together. I, d- I didn't come away knowing a single character's name. I don't, I couldn't tell you about the plot. I will, spoiler alert, tell you that the last 10 minutes are fully an interpretive dance performance. Wow. Um, but it was great. It was so nice just to see theater. And it's happening now. And I know I've spoiled the ending, but if you're in Los Angeles, um, you got to go check it out. Uh, you know what? I will think about checking it out. Mm-hmm. But speaking of theater, we mm. have such a dynamic duo. Another we really double do. feature. This yes. is a very special episode uh, where we are highlighting two um, revered casting directors. We're always talking to actors and performers and... Um, you know, it's it. There's uh, something really fascinating about talking to some of the people who have helped discover uh, those yeah. actors and performers. Yeah, um, uh, they've made stars. They have made and, stars, and they and they you know and they just put everyone into the shows that we love and create the yes. worlds that we have come to know. Jeff Greenberg is a casting director for uh, for Frasier, for Cheers. You will hear some great stuff about Cheers. For the movie Top Gun, which we didn't get into and I could kick myself. Uh, Modern Family. Uh, he has he has won an Emmy for his, yes. uh, for his casting work. And uh, by the way, I, I do have to say that in my time as an actor, uh, Jeff Greenberg, one of the only people who ever brought me into his office uh, more than once. So yeah. kind. I never got a part there, but uh, he tried. He tried his, his uh, darndest. Um, also, my friend, not to brag, David Rappaport is here. Um, and he is casting director for... Gossip Girl, Riverdale, The Flash, uh, all of the CW superhero shows. Yes. Um, And uh, he's just a dreamboat. And we had so much fun talking to both of them. Yeah. They have such interesting stories. And uh, there's just a a real lot to get into. I think you're going to love it. 
Uh, before we get to that, uh, yes. we should share. We have another uh, five star review. They are they are flying in as though we were begging for them, which of course we were. Yeah. Uh, Gay Timothy says just discovered and love this podcast. You know, he, hmm. he went over a little bit. They do they do keep you to a to a pretty strict uh, character limit. It seems like Gay Timothy went over as a Gay Timothy will. Sure. Um, but he did give us five stars. And he said, I am overjoyed that I found this podcast. I'm currently catching up on the episodes while listening as the newer ones are released. It is so four O's. Nice to hear a gay podcast that has some real substance and less vapid foolery. Please keep it coming, and everyone out there should turn all their friends, gay and otherwise, on to this show, Gay Timothy. Thank gay you. Gay Timothy, thank you. We love you. And uh, by the way, uh, we have sort of wrapped up the season of Meet Cutes. We've been yeah, soliciting so. your Meet Cute stories. and Adorable. Now we want to try something else. Uh, yeah. uh, a listener segment in the intro. Send us your ideas. What's yeah. a, something, what's like a runner you'd love to hear us do? Yeah. Uh, we've done people's first times. We've done people's Meet Cutes. We haven't done their, you know, their, their comings out. We haven't done their, you know... Uh, first crushes. We haven't, um, there, there's a lot left undone. If they're, you know, we're building a, a, a listener community here. So if you want to know um, some intimate stuff about your fellow listeners, let us know specifically what you would like to hear. And we will, uh, we will activate that segment in coming episodes. We will. You can tweet us at homophilia pod. Yeah. Uh, and, Without further ado, uh, yeah. we have to get to these guests. We have, uh, they are star makers and stars in their own right. The Damn one and only Jeff Greenberg, followed by the one and only David Rappaport. We're back with Jeff Greenberg. Jeff, how is your uh, sanity level? <laughs> well, it wasn't that high to begin with. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, I'm never bored. There's always something to watch or read or, you know, I exercise every day and uh, try to stay fairly productive. But, you know, I, I do get depressed from the news. I, I watch it less and less, and just uh, th the big news of the day tends to find its way to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm antsy. I'm usually working by this time, and I'm not working now. And I, uh, and I just, the state of the world is, is you know, brings me down. It but is uh, overall, it's I'm tough. fine. I'm healthy, and I'm I'm certainly well fed, and I'm um, I'm okay, all things considered. Good, glad to hear it. It's a good attitude to have. Well, as things swirl into yeah. chaos, what is your what's your sanity plan for the next fifty days? We're officially fifty days until the election. Do you have any oh my God. mental health well, maintenance I, tips? I'm looking for ideas. Well, I started to write, you know, I got in touch with, uh, uh, is it beavoter.com, postcards to vote.org. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing postcards for the Democratic campaign for state and uh, for Biden. Uh, 
And that's helpful to me. It's very, it's, there's not, you know, I, I make a lot of contributions, but I felt like I needed to do something else. Yeah. So that's an easy thing for me. I, you, you know, you, you have to get your postcards and postage, and then they send you a mailing list of people to, to send, to send these postcards to, to encourage them to vote or to get an absentee ballot. And, um, Mine are going to Florida and Kentucky right now, and it's it's uh, it's actually bringing me a sense of calm, like I'm doing something proactive, and, and I just feel that every little bit helps. And if like the who's in Whoville, if everybody yells, it's going to collectively do something. Right. So that's one thing I've started to do. And writer's cramp aside, um, I'm enjoying doing that. Good. And uh, the rest I'm. Just trying to uh, enjoy my home and my life and uh, do my best to stay positive. You know, it's, I, I'm not uh, calling people and chatting on the phone. At first, I was checking in with so many friends. I don't have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not as chatty. I've just uh, sort of pulled back on that a bit. And every once in a while, I'll call somebody. We'll catch up on this and that. But I don't have a lot of news. Yeah. But I'm and good. You were saying earlier you've, you've been you've been trying to only take in the, the news news in small bites. So what what have you been watching? I've been watching a lot. I mean, there's a lot to watch. Um, I just finished three seasons of Kingdom on Netflix, which is fantastic. Ooh. Uh, it's a real, you know, it's a family of boxers, fighters, you know, and it's, you know, bad boys boxing and it's the, but the acting's great and uh, storytelling is good. Uh, Normal People was the sh- my favorite of everything I binged on God, on Netflix. Uh, no, no, no. That's on Hulu. Don't yeah, miss Hulu, that. Yeah. My favorite documentary I've seen is the Imagineering story on uh, Disney Plus about the creation of all things at the Disney parks from concept to execution, all the rides and exhibits. And if you're a Disney fan, like I am, that was great. It's a six part thing. Uh, I saw another great documentary the other day, Harold and Lillian, a Hollywood love story. And it's about this couple that were together for multiple decades. He was the storyboard artist that, crafted all these films and she headed the biggest research library for Hollywood. So everyone would come to them. I mean, and they show when he was storyboarding the birds for Hitchcock, they showed, you know, he reads the script and comes up with the visions and then they really uh, take what he's done. And they, they were showing the scenes in the movie with his storyboards, the art, director gets credit for it. The director gets credit for it, but it was his vision that, that created these monumental is in hundreds and hundreds of films. Uh, check that out. It's, it's, it's one of those behind the scenes of Hollywood stories that you just have never heard. Write that down that. right now. I, yeah. Yeah. That was really good. I watched another great documentary called The Gardener about this uh, this horticulturalist had hundreds of acres that he turned into all these 
diverse different gardens, you know, over a period of a long time. And it's the first time they've been photographed. And that was sort of an oasis just to watch that. So I've been watching a variety of stuff and lots of movies. I've been trying to watch like a really favorite movie from my past every day. Okay. So I've been watching some good things there. Yeah. So what's, give, uh, what's on the like list? A, yeah, yeah, give us the, the Jeff Greenberg top five or top ten or whatever. Uh, the ones I watched recently that I loved, uh, Postcards from the Edge, Goodwill Hunting, All of Me, League of Their Own, Talented Mr. Ripley, Waiting for Guffman, Broadcast News. Uh, I mean, there's, I mean, every one of those movies were great. And I'm not one to see a movie a second time. I usually see it in the theaters. And I don't watch them again, but now I have the opportunity and I'm loving doing it. My list is very long of things to still see. Yeah. I, I can watch, watch The Firm, which is great. Ooh. Wow. Um, <laughs> I could watch Waiting for Guffman nightly. <laughs> Truly. I, yeah, I get it. It's, it's genius. It's brilliant. Last time I watched genius. the thing that, that, that stuck out was um, – Catherine O'Hara, uh, drunk in a Chinese restaurant. The, uh, the, the level of sweat on her is exactly perfect. It's such an embarrassing wine drunk. Oh, magnificent. No one has yeah, ever yeah. played drunk better than that, that mm -mm. scene. Oh, mm -mm. it's just no. so good. Oh, no. Delicious. No. So, Jeff, you, no. Have a, you started out as an actor, right? Yeah, I was an actor for about 10 years out of college here in Los Angeles. And so, so I, I'd love to know a little bit about what your acting days were like and, and, and what your, you know, sort of moment of transition to casting was. Well, I, you know, I always struggled. I never had a good agent. I got to bits and pieces of jobs and would get a few commercials or I had a few lines on one day at a time, which got cut. And uh, I, I would just... I really struggled. I had a lot of job jobs, you know, in retail and the restaurants and hotels. And I always had something, but I did a lot of theater and the best jobs I had, I was in the sit down company of Annie at the Schubert theater here. And I did a national tour of whose life is it anyway. And I did this Jules Pfeiffer play at, which is now the Geffen playhouse was the Westwood playhouse called hold me. And I did that in a couple other cities. And I did a lot of dinner theater and summer stock, but I only just got by. I really just barely got by, which is why I always had to have a job, job, job too. But I always kept studying and um, loved the struggle of it. Um, when I was 22, I knew I had to would live on a shoestring. That was part of it. But by the time I was 32, it, it wasn't as delightful. And, um, I had a, a friend in casting named Linda Francis, and uh, I got to know her. I, I had a great job for a while at the Mark Taper Forum. I was like their extra person. I worked in their casting office uh, when they got really busy, but I also worked in audience development and uh, the publicity department, and I'd be a PA for this production and a house manager for this. I did that for a few years, which was awesome. It was minimum wage, but it was in the theater, and I learned a lot. And I loved working in the casting office and this casting director linda went off on her own she was casting movies and i got a call from her one night saying i just got a movie my usual assistant isn't available would you like to be my assistant on this movie well at the time i was working at jane fonda's workout uh mm -hmm. jane fonda had a aerobic 
empire once upon a time. And uh, she had lots of merchandising. And Bill Paxton, rest his soul, and I sat in a room with no windows, typing labels all day for her books and records and leotards and tights and a lot of other stuff. And so I said to Linda, yes, I'm available. So the next day, I started on my first official casting job on this movie called Angel. Honor student by day, Hollywood hooker by night. Who could forget? I, uh, I started doing that job and right away, I not only loved it, I got it. For some reason, I just got it. And on the first day, Linda and I were in the car and we were just talking about the script and we were talking about each part. And I'd say an actor's name, she said, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. That, and for some reason, all my years of just staring at the end credits from when I'm a kid of TV shows, and I have a photographic memory of, for credits. I don't know why. Remember those theater world books where the, the font is so small and it's microscopic? I would read those and somehow I would retain the names of actors. So I seemed to have a big vocabulary of actors. And I started working with her, and I just found that everything I learned in acting, I was able to apply to casting, how to, how to work on the text, how to break down the script, how to talk to actors, how to read with actors, how to communicate with directors. And I learned the other stuff. I learned the contract stuff. And for some reason, I was just born to it. And all of those years as an actor, and I never wanted to do anything else, not for one second of my life, since I was very young, the big picture I saw it was all up to to get into casting. Mm -hmm. I I got I, I got successful pretty quickly and was you know going nowhere fast as an actor. So it was just meant to be. Wow, I, it's was, so uh, funny. I you I, I feel like we we've had parallel lives in a way because in my ten years of like you know I'm in my twenties I'm struggling I'm trying to be an actor I'm kicking around town. My main uh, job of many I had was working for Kathy Smith, who was a fitness guru who was like Jane Fonda's sort of main rival back in the day. So uh -huh. I was in her office in Santa Monica, like sending out her uh -huh. DVDs and. Um, but she's how I got started writing because I would ghostwrite her newsletters. Um, so I'd write these newsletters that were for middle American, middle-aged women about like moving through menopause. And, and she was like, you could do this. And I was like, do what? Right? Pretend to be you? And she was like, no, I think you could. So she was sort of like my, my you know, um, transition into a new life. Uh -huh. Wow. Um, yeah. was, was Bill Paxton cool. in his band when you were working together? I don't think so. He never mentioned it. Okay. He, he was really still knocking around, you know, trying right. to make a breakthrough. Yeah. He's the sweetest guy. Yeah. He's awesome. So talented. He had a band called Martini Ranch and, uh, and they, they made one album and they have this video with Rick Rossovich in it. And it's, it's weird. It's, it's perfect. 1985 weirdness. Huh. And, uh, I'll send it to you when we're, when we're finished. And then, so you, okay. um, you are responsible for putting Kirstie Alley on cheers, right? I am. Yes. That's yeah, I had, huge. After I worked with, I worked with Linda for about three years and I, we worked on about eight movies and then I got a huge break. I, 
uh, they were replacing the casting director on Cheers after the fourth season. Uh-huh. And friends of mine were producing the show now, and they called me in to meet the creators of Cheers, Gwen West Charles and Jim Burroughs. And I didn't really even have a casting resume, but they wanted, they were letting go of the casting director because they were bringing in too many familiar television faces from commercials and other shows, and they wanted fresh. And in our meeting, all we did was talk about theater and, you know, actors we liked in the theater. And for some reason, I got that job. I mean, in Hollywood, you know, one always dreams of the big break. I really got one. I, I think most people get a lot of little breaks. I got a huge break. That was my first job I own. I never cast television. Wow. Or I, and so I, it was intimidating, but I dove in. And um, it was uh, it was like Alice through the looking glass. I mean, I was all of a sudden in this magical world that I always aspired to be in as an actor. I got in through a different door, and it was as wonderful as I suspected. And then uh, only about a month or two into the job, Shelley Long announced that she wasn't coming back at the end of the fifth season. Um, and so they said, you, you know, we'll have to find a replacement. Um, so I started working on that sort of right away. And I had just seen Kirsty play Maggie in Cat on the Hot Tin Roof of the Taper, directed by Jose Quintero. Wow. And she was sizzling hot. And she brought enormous humor to that part more than I had ever seen. I knew that play really well. And they said for uh, Shelley's replacement, they wanted someone diametrically opposed. They wanted someone dark, sultry, everything Diane Chambers wasn't, you know? And um, I mean, it seemed to be, it was Kirsty in my head. Well, it took about five months to make that happen. I brought in right away, and it was very secretive. They didn't want Shelly to know we were already replacing her because they thought that would really put her off. So we did everything very secret. My own assistant didn't know what we were doing. Wow. So we had a, we set up an audition for Kirsty to come in on the weekend on a Saturday with Ted Danson and Rhea Perlman on uh, our soundstage. And they did some scenes that they had written and they really liked her and they loved her quality and, uh, they said, well, yeah, let's have it be Kirsty. Well, when we told the network, they said, well, is she funny? And they went, we think she is, but we didn't put her on tape. We d- didn't film it. Um, they didn't want to. Um, and so they said, well, we can't rely on that. So we would like for you to see other people as well. And so for the next many months, that's what we did. And we saw a lot of great ladies. We saw Sharon Stone and Kim Cattrall and Marg Helgenberger and in camp and hundreds of others. And they always said, yeah, but they're not Kirsty. They're not Kirsty. Finally, after all of those months, um, Brandon Tartikoff said, well, if I can't trust Glenn and Les Charles and Jim Burroughs by now, uh, 
then I'm not a very good head of a network. So if you believe in Kirsty, so do I. So they said yes. Then, because there was no one really in competition, her agent held all the cards. It was a very hard deal to make, and it took over a month to do. And so when it was finally done, it was a miracle to me because I'm still learning the ropes. And um, so Kirsty started on the show at the beginning of the sixth season, and she was fine. She wasn't great. She wasn't, but she was fine. She um, did what she was supposed to do. She was supposed to be an ice queen, and she could do all that. But it wasn't really popping until one day in rehearsal, I don't know, about six episodes in, she goes from the bar into her office, and in opening, she couldn't get the door open. And Kirsty got really frustrated, and it was hilarious. It was an, it was unintentional, and they went, aha, it's the ice queen who's a mess underneath. They saw in those couple uh, of moments, and they immediately started writing to that in that very episode, and it changed everything. And all of a sudden, they got what the character was and the dichotomy of who Rebecca Howe was. And it was, I mean, there... I've worked with so many producers over the years. Some of them are, are know how to develop a character, how to develop a show and relationships. They were experts at that. And um, once that was cemented in, the whole show it, like had a rebirth. And Cheers, which was already a huge hit, it won the Emmy for Best Comedy, and it was a number one hit. Uh, it was actually number 10 after Cosby on the same night, must-see TV. Um, the show got bigger than ever. And it it sort of, it had started to flatten it a little. It came way back again and sort of stayed that way for the rest of the run. And it was because of the new energy that Kirsty brought to it. So, you know, they they were very happy that I fell on my sword for her. And uh, it, it, by casting her, that led to a lot of their opportunities for me. And for her, too, because as soon as you said Ice oh my God. was a mess underneath, I'm like, oh, that's who she ended up playing in a, a version of over and over again after Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Completely. So she sort of well, found of course, herself. More close to who she is. She's, you know, she's a self-admitted neurotic person. She's, and she's so fun. And she was really, she brought a a sense of fun to the stage that wasn't there before. Shelley, who was very, was excellent in the part, she, she wasn't a lot of fun to be around. You know, Kirsty was the center of the party. Mm-hmm. And Rhea finally had a girlfriend she could hang out with. And, you know, Kirsty was also one of the boys. It was just, she brought it all together. And it trickled down from there to the whole staff and crew and all. It was a blast. It was, and I was on the show for the last seven seasons. And you got to bring and, Roger Reese into the family. Like that's not, you would totally. not make that connection, but he was perfect. He was perfect. Once again, the theater. I went to see him in a top, stop and play. It was at the Huntington Hartford Theater. Um with Judy Davis and he was great. And they were casting this part of Robin Colcord. So I made a call and he wanted to come in and it was a blistering hot day. 
but he came very English buttoned up coat and t- wool suit, coat and tie. And he, you know, gave him a hard time. He said, cause we're probably wearing shorts and t-shirts. It was that hot. And he said, this character would not be wearing shorts and t-shirts for a meeting. Yeah. Anyway, he was his charming, wonderful self. I stayed friends with him all those years since. It was a real loss a couple of years ago when he passed. Yeah. He was one of the greatest human beings ever. Besides being a magnificent actor, he, he was really an awesome, awesome guy. So what's, how is, what's going through your mind when in between, um, you know, putting all of your chips behind Kirstie Alley and it really clicking? Are you, are you panicking in that time in between? Because that is, that is the most high-profile part on television. I, I, I panicked every moment of the sure. day. I was on my shoulders. And it wasn't clicking for a long time. We didn't really have anybody until, you know, we felt we had the person, but until the network approves, you don't have the person. Right. And you just do, you know, I, I learned a lot then. You just keep doing due diligence. You do everything you can do. You keep looking under every rock. You keep moving forward. You get creative. You you just keep at it. And by the time it's time to have someone play the part, there's someone to play the part. Right. And what's happening and at this stage of your life, what's happening in your love life? Are you out? What does dating look like for you? Well, I was, you know, when I was an actor, I wasn't really out in the industry, although I was to my friends. And I was always very uncomfortable in auditions um, when it was, you know, a, a decidedly straight role or something. It just it didn't feel like a good fit, but I took every audition I could. Um, like a, the year before I got Cheers, um, I met who, Lars, who is now my husband. We've been together for 36 years. And I met him when I was a casting associate. And uh, he was working at CNR Clothiers. He was, and uh, he was an aspiring performer at the time. And um, we met and have been together since the night we met. It was just one of those. We met at a bar on Melrose, long gone. It was across the street from the Groundlings. It was called the One Bar. And it was a, had a big neon number one as the sign. And uh, it was sort of a pinball machine kind of bar, sort of a local bar. It's been about nine things since. It was, it was then a bar called uh, Santa Fe, when all, that style was uh-huh. very popular. It was Fun a restaurant bar. called Metro. It was a sports bar. It was a gem store. It was a place called um, the Green Room, the Spotlight. The Green Room, the I Maybe it's even the Green Room now. Mm-hmm. Lars and I, we threatened we want to put a little plaque in front. <laughs> but anyway, what was what was interesting is when I joined Cheers, one of the executive producers, David Lee, was an out gay man, and one of the production assistants, David Reed, was an out gay man. So that was the whole gamut, and I I felt an acceptance immediately. 
because it was such a gay friendly environment. And I, I really sort of, I mean, I, I remember just having a certain sense of relaxation that I could be myself, which I always couldn't do as an actor. And, um, it was fantastic. And they embraced Lars. He became part of the family. It was a very inclusive group. It was a real family friendly group and we were treated great. And, um, it was, and, and Glenn and Les and Jimmy always called Lars, Lars Lindstrom, which was Phyllis's, Cloris Leachman's invisible mm-hmm. husband on film. Yeah. So he, if Jimmy saw Lars today, he'd call him Lars Lindstrom. <laughs> Um, you are in anyway, a long so, line of sitcom relationships with a uh, with an invisible oh my spouse God, named Lars. Aren't I? I? I really am. So that's um, so all of that happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, getting into casting and finding Lars, and uh, you know I'm still in casting and I'm still with Lars. So it's it's been pretty it's been a great ride for me, and we're not done yet. Not at all. Right. And, how did uh, your experience, having been an actor who, uh, you know, had the sense that being out wasn't an option for you, how did that affect the way you approached casting? Because attitudes have obviously, the culture around it has completely transformed since then. Well, it always seemed obvious to me. It wasn't about if you were gay or straight. Is if you, it's about if you play gay or you play straight. I know straight actors who seem gay and I know gay actors who seem straight. I want the best actor. And, you know, when we were casting Modern Family, the two gay parts, Cameron and Mitchell, you know, I just wanted the best actors. I called in every gay actor I thought could do those parts as I could. And I was particularly thrilled that we ended up with a, gay and a straight man playing the two gay actors because they were the two best actors for those parts. And we did due diligence. I mean, we saw hundreds. And I, I still think that's the case. I don't think, you know, it may be an unpopular opinion to many, but I don't think you have to hire a gay actor to play a gay part. That's like saying, well, then you can't play a straight part. Then we have to cast straight parts straight actors for straight parts. I think the best actor. Now, once again, the phrase due diligence is important. I think you have to make a real concerted effort to find it in the gay community, but I don't exclusively have to be that. Okay. Make sense? Who, yeah. yeah. Who, who right now, like who are, the, who are some of the, who are the best unsung actors? Who are you thrilled to see in the room? Oh, are there people who are like know. close to their moment who you're excited about? Huh. Well, you know, I, I, I cast a pilot that on the day that Hollywood closed down, I think it was March 13th, we had our table reading and the pilot didn't get made. We were supposed to shoot it the next week. And the lead of that show is a stand-up named Jim Jeffries. Uh-huh. He's an Australian stand-up, very popular. It's very and funny. he's really good. Very much of an everyman, thick Australian accent. The pilot was fantastic. 
and it just it didn't get done. It's being rolled over into the next development uh, season, so they say. But he's he's gonna maybe the show will still happen. If not, he's just unique and he's hilarious. <laughs> so that's the person that pops into my mind that we really haven't seen do this yet, but yeah. is so ready to do it. We'll keep our eyes out for him. Good. Um, so can you just uh, tell us a little more about your love story with Lars? Uh, you meet at the one bar on Melrose and yeah. when, when does it become serious and, uh, how did marriage, you know, enter the picture for you guys? Well, we, you know, we started dating right away and, you know, the first week we saw each other once next week, twice, and then three times. And then I lived in West Hollywood. He lived in South Pasadena. And within several weeks, we were seeing each other six or seven nights a week, days a week. And um, we had a great courtship. And for some reason, I th we both sensed that, that this was the one. So we didn't rush it. And um, even an old-fashioned word like courtship really applied. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. So our favorite thing to do, we'd go to a great hotel um whether it was the beverly hotel or the bel-air hotel or the bonaventure or or the beverly wilshire whatever and we'd get a drink and then we'd just wander around the hotel for a couple of hours you know hmm. looking into the public spaces the ballrooms walking down hallways to see if we could peek in rooms to see what they were like being out sitting out by the pool just in in the dark and chatting and feeling like we were having this little adventure and you know we we did it on you know, on a dime and we had so much fun doing that and uh because he lived out in Pasadena I we'd go out there and do great things that I'd never done before and we just I don't know everything we were doing together we had a good time doing and it was just very easy I had been in other relationships before and uh, hadn't been in one for about eight years. And it just came together like silk. I mean, it was just, it was meant to be. I mean, I, I fell for him when I laid eyes on him. For me, it was love at first sight. I don't, I don't think it was for mm. him. But for me, it was. I just, I just knew. And um, so after about six months of dating, we decided we wanted to find a place to live together. We both were in one-bedroom apartments. And we looked for about six months and couldn't find anything in our budget. So he moved in with me and we just kept looking. And in about another six months, we found a two bedroom duplex, uh, also in West Hollywood. And we loved putting together the home. I mean, we really, it was such a bonding experience. We've lived in about four different places since then. And it's our favorite thing is to create home together. And, you know, just uh, just being able to collaborate on that and being able to compromise and figure it out that we both love it. And all of our places have been very, very different, but we love it. Since then, Lars, you know, he left performing. He went back to school and was an interior designer for 20 years. So uh, we had his expertise to draw on. And uh, since then, about 
five or six years ago, he made another change. He went back to school and he became a preschool teacher, which is what he is now. Oh. So he's he's had he's had several several lives. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we just we just had the best time. We've traveled a lot. We're really great travel companions. We're very very lucky that we found each other and have somehow you know it's the relationships I had prior to Lars Reader a year or two. And after you are in a new relationship and you gets to be a year or two, you don't know what it's going to be after that because you haven't had that kind of experience. But we were, and we've had so many other friends that were together seven years, 10 years, and they'll split up. We were lucky enough that as we changed, and we certainly did, it was in a way the balance to the other. I think that was just luck. Mm. He also said one great thing. What, yeah. what Dave? No, 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 no. I would like to hear this. I just, I just flashed one great thing. About three years into our relationship, we had our big fight. I mean, big. And uh, I was really freaking out that it was going to be the end of our relationship. And so not only were, so it was like two things happening. This fight, and I don't remember what it was. And I was sort of freaking out that it was the beginning of the end. And I voiced that to him. And he said, you know, why don't I right now that whatever we fight about is separate from the relationship and it won't threaten the relationship. That we can have a big blowout fight and not be worried that it will lead to us breaking up. Should we decide that? And I went, yes. And that's how it's been. Wow. And, you know, we've certainly had our arguments over the years. We feel it's like, for as long as we've been together, it feels like it's only been a handful, but we've had some, some, <laughs> some explosive ones, but it, it was never that fear that I thought it was going to be over was so frightening to me. And that's, and it was like the, a genius thing for him to say that applied to us. I don't know that that works for everybody, but it definitely was what I needed to hear and what we always remember. And, and, it's been, um, it, 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 when people ask me for relationship advice, I tell them that story. Usually. That's so simple and profound. I mean, that is, right? that is right? very deep and, and it's, it's a shift. And, it's, it's, it, it, and it speaks also, to so much trust and generosity because if you, if you, you are, you are, at, it's a mutual agreement to give each other the freedom to explode. Right. And there was one other thing he said in that same conversation. He said, and there's one other thing. You can never say fuck you to me. And I huh. never have. Okay. I mean, there you go. There's, okay. There you have it. Oh, don't be afraid to fight. You can't say fuck you to me. And he said, you can't say goddamn because he was a very strict Catholic. Uh -huh. And he, that's like a, a thing that his family, that was like never. And I've never really i said <laughs> fuck you to other people and i've used goddamn when he's not around but i i don't use those to him so they were very you're right it was simple yet proud. secret to a happy marriage i love it what yeah. is uh let us into the life of a preschool teacher in 2020 is he well is he working he closed he closed down on the same sure. year that uh the same day that i did yeah and um his 
his school opened back up at a preschool in Silver Lake. It opened back up June 1st and his class of 16 students and two teachers, there were just four students and one teacher. And he was the second teacher because the other teacher had more seniority. So he hasn't been back yet. They're slowly coming back. And they said, we love you, but there's not really a place for you. But he's fine. He doesn't want to go back until there's a vaccine. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't, he, he has a class of three and four-year-olds. You can't socially distance them when there's so many. If you have a handful of them, you can. But if 16 kids, it's just not possible. No. So he is not rushing back so quick. And, if, and so he's just going to have to wait it out. And he's happy to do that until it's yeah. safer. Yeah. I support that decision for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. What a pleasure. You are a dream. Thank you. I loved it. I I, kudos on your podcast. It's really one of my favorites. Thank you very much. And I'm really honored to to sit here and chat with you like this. We're honored to have you. Likewise, please come back and, and stay safe. You got it. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. David. Hello. Hello. Hi, David. You're here in town? I am here in town. I am in uh, the valley, and um, I'm breathing in this, you know, terrible air. But yeah, I'm doing okay. Everyone's healthy and, and happy so far. How about you guys? You know, the valley is really locking in the uh, the smoke. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it is very mesquite flavored <laughs> outside. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I am uh, a town over from you, and it's uh, it's real gross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, attempted to We're bike in up in Griffith Park right into the cloud of smoke, which oh. was not a great idea. I can't imagine now. <laughs> it was terrible. And it, we got up to the top and yeah. it was like, is it weird that we didn't see another human being the entire time? Because usually there's <laughs> loads, oh, sure. and loads of people. Yeah. But yeah, no. Nope. I'm staying inside Just the last few days. Yeah. <laughs> David, what? how much are you guys getting out right now out of the house, out of town? What? What's going on? Um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, uh, we... Uh, didn't order any food in. It was all just um, delivery from like Instacart, things like that. We slowly started getting out of town a little bit more. We actually took t- uh, a trip to Tahiti in, yeah. I want to say, July. Um, there was no COVID there at the time, uh, no reported cases at least. I think there's about 500 or so now. It could be off in the number. Um, you had a test to get on the plane. You had a test once you got there. And we tested when we came back. And um, we felt pretty comfortable doing that. And then since then, um, we did a, a weekend or two in joshua tree in palm springs but now with covid and the air as it is you know i've just been in the house the past few days i haven't gone out at all um it's a crazy time crazy time yeah it's not great it's yeah no we're in hell what's a what's a um walk us through a day in your life right now well today was a really terrible morning as far as mornings go just because i think i had a Terrible night of sleep, had some crazy work dreams or stress dreams, and woke up in a panic and went from, um, you know, waking up straight into a Zoom session, um, which brings all these sort of new elements of casting to it because, you know, we've, we normally do this stuff in person and live and 
figuring out all the technology of Zoom and how to um, how to both like record it and do it properly, and then how to communicate with actors on Zoom is is just a different animal. And I went from that session to a phone call to lunch by my computer to this. So it's just been nonstop. I think um, as soon as these productions got back into um, production, so to speak, uh, I have been just as busy as ever. Uh, and, and we started, I would say, on most of my shows about a month ago or so. So we're, we're up on eight shows right now. And it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Jeez. Yeah. All from home. All from home. Yeah. And, but then things are starting to shoot in Vancouver that you're working on. Yeah, we have about six shows in Vancouver. We have, um, let's see, Riverdale, The Flash, um, Batwoman, Superman and Lois. Uh, I'm going to forget some. Uh, and then we have you <laughs> starting in L.A. in about a month or so. So, um, oh. it's yeah, it's pretty busy. I'm hopeful, you know, nothing shuts down. Everyone stays healthy. But it's definitely... Uh, it's, it's just a new uh, new experience doing all this and doing it remotely. It's really kind of changed the way that we work too, because um, in some ways it's great. I'm able to see more actors because I'll just say yes, pretty much to everyone who wants to self tape and I'll watch as many tapes as I can. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more people. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not working directly with the actors anymore. You know, we're not doing a lot of live readings. I'm not doing pre readings with actors. I'm basically getting their tapes and maybe giving some notes to retape, but I'm not interacting with them. It's um, that's really difficult. That's one of the things I love most about you know my job and, and this process. You watch. Uh, we we saw you uh, like when you were in the middle of the like uh, recasting Batwoman. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, which was I know like a massive undertaking, and yeah. you were telling me I, I just assumed that they're the, the like the the people who work for you are sifting through a lot of tapes for you, but you literally watch everything. I watch everything. I I guess I'm just afraid that I will miss something. I won't watch the. I'll be honest. I don't watch the entire audition. You know, some auditions are five to fifteen minutes long. I may watch just. 30 seconds to a minute of it. I'll know kind of quickly if that person is right for what we're looking for. Um, but I feel, yeah, I feel like I have to see everything. I, I don't want to miss, you know, the, we just need one person at the end of the day. And if I miss that one person, then it's on me and I have to keep looking. So um, yeah, yesterday we got, I want to say I went through about 8,000 submissions um, for the new season of you and they're still coming in. And oh my God, those aren't auditions. Those are just like, pictures, resumes, demo reels of um, agents are submitting for various roles on the season. So it's, um, it is a numbers game. It's a volume game. And uh, I've learned how to do it very quickly, but uh, my eyes were just shot last night. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah. Do you have, do you have any energy left to watch things for pleasure? Oh yeah, for sure. I will say like more recently, I've been watching a lot of TCM because yeah. all those actors, unfortunately, have passed away. So I'm not looking for, like, new, fresh faces. You know, I think what's difficult about watching, like, the most recent um, shows on Netflix or something is that I'll get so in my head about, wait, do I know that actor? Or I don't know that actor. I have to write down who it is. I have to look them up on IMDb. Or I know who that, that actor's agent is. I know how much they made for this show. Like, there's just too much information going on in my head that it's, it's hard to disconnect. Um, so I should probably get into animation a little bit more. But, uh, mm. but, but I do every once in a while, yeah, find some time to watch some TV. I love, I love, you know, Netflix especially, but, um, and HBO Max, which is my new employer. I love them too. 
um, NCW and all those places. Of course, of course, but, all the greats. Yeah. What, yeah. Um, what, what is like must-see TV in your house right now? Well, we're living for Friday night. We're going to binge Pen15 Season 2. Mm. Um, which is, have you guys seen it? Yeah. Oh, I think it's genius. I'm, I'm so excited. It. It's brilliant. Um, a former associate of mine is now the casting director on it. I think she just does such a great job. Um, and it's, uh, so that's wild. So I think Friday night that comes on. I'm anticipating, um, uh, is it Other People? I just forgot the name of it, from Comedy Central. Or the other two, sorry. The, the other, other two. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is genius as well. Uh, what else? We just watched this series, at the, actually the beginning of COVID, called Into the Night. It's a Belgian series about a pandemic, and it's in French, but with subtitles. And it was so fitting for what was going on, and it's so fast-paced. I think it's only six episodes. Um, I would highly recommend that one. Um, some mm. really good acting and just kind of uh, some some good drama. Um, and what else did I watch? We watched two Harlem Coven series. Uh, I think one, one was called Safe and one was called The Stranger. They're both on Netflix and they're based on those novels um, right. by Harlem Coven. And they're just sort of about uh, mysteries, people going missing or being killed. And um, it centers around a community and usually like one man who's trying to like figure out the truth and, um, they're kind of like edge of your seat thrillers and those things, those things are fun. I kind of, I enjoy those types of shows. A little hmm. escapism and then some pandemic material. Yeah, exactly. You know, great. Yeah. <laughs> Dive in. You know, something I've always wanted to ask you is like when I have been to, uh, a party at your house. It's a lot. It's a it's a mix of you know uh, of their like casting people and 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 showbiz people and normal people and also actors. Like there are yeah. actors who are in your life who you're friends with and um and because you cast so many shows, you constantly have this like on. I'm sure it's very different now in COVID, but yeah. I'm just curious what it's like to have such an on to have that much energy coming at you all the time of people who want to charm you and are theoretically very good at charming you <laughs> and getting into your good graces and just like how that affects your um your sense of self and like sense of trust in other people. Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think I feed off other people's energy. I love being around people all day, which is why I love what I do. I mean, I'm meeting upwards when I'm when not in COVID, you know, 50 people a day. Sometimes I'll have a general that lasts, you know, 40 minutes to an hour. Sometimes it's just like a 10 minute pre-read where I'm, I'm casually, you know, talking with someone. And I love that. I can also see right through. I can also see right through someone if their intention is to get a job, if which which it is when they're coming in to meet me. I don't I don't assume that they want to be friends, but there are some people over the years I have become friends with. Um, just by the nature of seeing them so often and kind of working in the same business. And those are the people that you will see at my party. Those are the people that I don't feel like I have to be on in front of, or they have to be on in front of me. I feel like these are people I trust. I know their intentions. I'm not trying to impress them. I'm going to have a little drink or something, you know, like I want to feel free to be loose in front of my friends and I want them to feel mm -hmm. free to be loose too. But this was actually a skill I learned early on because I'd be, you know, out in public at a bar or something and run into an actor that I had auditioned and they'd come up to me and they'd be so nice. And I think, oh my God, this is like my new best friend. And I'm, all these people want to be my friend. And all of a sudden, you know, I was such a loser in high school and here I am like, <laughs> everyone wants to be friends. All these beautiful people want to be friends. And it took me a while to learn, you know, um, 
some people, not not every actor, certainly, but there are some people that, you know, are are schmoozing and and may pretend to want to be friends or or play along that we're friendly just because they want something. Um, and as I said before, you know, I've learned to kind of see that in people and, and I don't blame them for it. I'm not mad about it. Um, I just have to keep those people a little bit at arm's length. You know, it is at the end of the day, it's a business and I don't want to cross those lines necessarily. Um, but I, I enjoy people's company. I enjoy, you know, ta- I love actors in general. I love talking to, to people about the business. Um, you know, my husband it drives him crazy because that's all I talk about sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, but but I do I do enjoy like a party with industry people because we have so much in common. And, you know, there's a we can talk about film or TV or just people in the business that we know. So, yeah. What uh, what was high school like for David Rappaport? Oh, God. Do you want to come to my therapy session with me tomorrow? I'll send yes. You all about yes. That, that was a roundabout way of asking. But yes. Um, you know, it was, to be honest, it was really difficult. I, I transferred from a small private Jewish day school outside Boston to a very large public high school. And um, I would say I really didn't talk to anybody, like literally for the first two years of high school. I went, did my work, came home. Um, and didn't really make any friends till probably junior year. Um, I, I got involved in a lot of things junior year. I met a lot of people. I had a really good time. Um, but at the same time, I was also very, very deeply in the closet and really, you know, was not connecting with anybody else that was gay or bisexual or anything like that. Um, so I, I was, I, I really struggled and I think it affected my, um, my, my growth, obviously, you know, like I wasn't communicating socially with anyone. I wasn't dating anybody. Um, I did go to, once I, I made friends junior and senior year, I, I went to probably six or seven proms or junior cotillions because hmm. I, I think these, the women felt very safe around me because they could tell yeah. like I had no interest in them, but, um, or maybe they couldn't tell that they thought, you know, I was going to, I was more of a gentle guy than a lot of their friends, but, um, but I was really excited to graduate high school and move on from that experience. I still have nightmares about it. I, oh. I have nightmares that like, I can't open my locker, like the, Oof. The lock won't open, and then I like forget which class I'm going to. And it doesn't sound too terrible, but the stress and anxiety of being a teenager in high school, just all that, all those feelings come up again. Dream and, uh, is dreams like deal in raw emotion, and mm-hmm. that it will that shit will take you right back. Oof, it's rough. It's really rough. It's awful. Yeah. But I'm telling you, that junior year can be the great like democratizer. You know, mm-hmm. you get yeah. you get your driver's license. You can break out a little bit. You're starting yeah. to like try new things. Wouldn't go back for all the money in the world, but that is not at all. I'd never want to be that age again. It's tough. It's a tough age, but yeah. um, yeah. (laughs) But it's an age that you are in a way having to relive because you are, you cast a lot of shows set in high school. That's true. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I think, um, you know, the first pilot I did was gossip girl, which was nothing like the high school that I went to. Um, but I think that's the reason we like shows like that. I think that's why we like Riverdale and Gossip Girl and 90210 because um, they're fantasy based. You know, it's the people don't necessarily look like the people that we went to school with. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much drama. There's so much stuff happening um, that I certainly had none of that kind of uh, drama in my school or my school experience. But um, I, I do I do love a good coming of age TV show or film. Um, I really resonate with those because I, I think I'm still trying to understand sort of my own, um, my own coming of age. So it is, it is a good way to kind of, mm. uh, recollect. Yeah. So after high school, you go to Emerson. Correct. Yeah. And what was your major? 
I was a generalist, which is basically liberal arts. So um, I had a BA in mass communication, which at the time was film, television, radio, and new media. New media is the internet. Right. It's not new anymore, but 20 years ago, it was you know pretty new. Um, I had a minor in psychology. And um, I loved Emerson College. You know, the, the hard thing about it for me was that everyone there was so focused. They were like, I'm going to be an actor, a director, an editor. They knew what they wanted to do the second they stepped foot there. But I, I really was lost. I just knew I wanted to be in entertainment. And uh, I didn't know how. And I, I got an internship in casting. And I just sort of followed that path. Um, and that's what led me here. And, and now, you know, 20 years later, it's like, it feels a little too late to turn around and change everything, but uh, yeah. that's where I am. Well, I would yeah. yeah, no, 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 I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, but it's, it was just funny. I felt like, as I said, like everyone just knew in their gut, like who they were and what they wanted to do. And I really sort of feel like I fell into it. And you and Ron met at Emerson, right? Yes. So Ron and I met on two random occasions. One was in Boston when I guess a, a boy he was friends with had a crush on me and Ron and the, the boy wanted to introduce Ron to me to kind of get Ron's sense of me. And I guess Ron met me, didn't really care one way or the other and said, yeah, he seems <laughs> fine. Good luck. Um, and nothing ever happened with either guy. And then our last semester of college, Ron and I both moved out to Los Angeles and we lived in the Oakwood apartments um, across the hall from each other. And I guess his wow. roommate um, then had a crush on me as well. I was in the closet, but they must have picked up on something, I assume, and uh, and said the same thing to Ron, like, what do you think of David? And, and Ron said to him, don't waste your time. He's straight, like, go go for someone else. And then Ron kind of, you know, made his move. And uh, What was his move? 20 Tell years later. Story. Oh, boy. Um, well, I don't want to embarrass Ron because he's not here, but uh, he... He uh, he flirted, you know, like he kind of made his, his interests and intentions known. And I was so shy and I was so scared um, that I didn't initially respond. You know, um, we became really, really good friends. And then um, then we went out drinking one night and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. My guard came down. Love at the Oakwoods. Love at the Oakwoods. Yeah. So what was what were you telling yourself about yourself in this time? Did you think that you were straight or were you just sublimating the whole thing? No, I knew I was gay. I knew I was gay. I was just, um, you know, I was I was terrified. I was ashamed. I, I didn't see myself in culture. I didn't see myself in, in this world. And despite going to Emerson College, which was like a predominantly gay school, I want to say predominantly gay, but there were a lot of other gay um, classmates there. I, I still didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel comfortable. I think there was a lot of self-hatred. Um, I, I grew up in a pretty conservative Jewish family who expected me, you know, not only to marry a woman, but to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a rabbi. And I felt like I was just constantly letting people down. And I think in the back of my head, if you'd asked me then, I would have denied it, but I, then I would have said, you know, I, I will likely marry a woman and have children and probably have affairs with men on the side. I thought that was going to be my way through. And actually, when I first started dating Ron, um, I was terrified. I was terrified to be gay. I was terrified to admit it to myself, to my family. And I tried to break up with him. And, and Ron said, you know, are you, are you breaking up with me because um, you don't like me or because you're scared? And I said, I'm, I'm scared. And around that time, my uh, college roommate also outed me to my entire college. Um, 
he had he had seen Ron's shoes like in the hallway of our apartment and said, are, are you um what's going on with you guys? And I said, honestly, I don't know. It's very new to me. I'm a little confused, but please don't say anything to anybody. Um, you know, I have to figure this out. And that night he went to a bar with like all the people in LA who had, who were going to Emerson at the time. And he, I, I assume he got kind of drunk and maybe felt uncomfortable about it and blurted it out. And I, I just, I, that pushed me back in the closet and I felt scared. So oh a lot of this was me overcoming my fear, but having the support of Ron and then my friends, then my family really encouraged me to, to come out. And I still feel like I'm coming out. I still feel like I'm coming to terms with who I am and accepting myself and loving myself. It's, it's been a, a bit of a journey. God. So, uh, being outed, what, mm-hmm. t- talk me through that feeling. Like, did you, when, how did you find out? Somebody emailed me somebody on, I went to my internship. Um, I was sitting at my desk the next morning and someone from the East coast emailed me and said, I heard you're gay. Is that true? Jesus. And, yeah. And I mean, it had spread so far. And, uh, you know, I, of course, was in such denial to myself and, and didn't want to admit it to anybody else. And then, um, you know, then, then then my closer friends started saying something that they'd heard, you know, that my roommate had said something. And I was terrified. Um, I, I, I screamed and yelled at this guy. I have not talked to him in, what is it now, like 20 years. Um, wow. I, I've let go of the anger since. You know, I'm trying to understand his point of view and understand that, you know, he was probably confused or upset himself and didn't quite know how to articulate that. Um, that said, I, I also had some other issues with him as, as a friend. He wasn't a great friend. And I feel like I didn't really need that energy in my life. So I'm not looking to reconcile. I'm not holding on to any anger, but I do feel like, you know, that, that was a time in my life that was really difficult. I was really hurt. I was, I was afraid of being outed. I was afraid that people would think I was a liar, that I kept things from them. Um, and I was always, you know, on edge that someone was going to reveal my secret. Um, so when it, when it happened, I had nothing else to do, but kind of accept it and and own it. Um, but it it did take a a few more years for me to fully come out. I am feeling this in my chest right now. No, 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 no. I'm like, I'm I'm glad that you were able to let go of the anger, but I, I, I am not. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. That kind of shit makes me go crazy. Yeah, we had an incident like that in my high school where a boy put, um, I want to say probably 500 flyers in all the seniors' lockers that added this one kid. Um, it was a really messy situation for so many reasons, but um, the reason that the, the kid did that to this other kid is that um, my friend who was outed had told his friend's mother that this boy had been abusing her. And because of that, the boy got back at him by outing him to all the, the classmates. And I, you know, this guy was devastated. He's, he's really well adjusted now. I think he's married, he's working, he's doing great. But, you know, when, when you're in high school, these things just, whenever, whenever, but, but especially in high school, it just it can destroy you. And I think by witnessing that, you know, I was afraid, I was afraid that if I were to cross someone, they would reveal my secret. If I were to um, just be myself, just live my life. Someone would reveal it in a negative way as if it was something to be shameful of. So that's, you know, I was getting sort of all these messages that this was just a bad thing. And I didn't, I didn't want to be that, that person. Are you still in touch with a lot? Are you still tight with a lot of people from Emerson? 
Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I do have a very good, like, core group. Um, I, I don't think anyone was shocked. There was no one that, like, turned their back on me because I was gay. Mm-hmm. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, um, but but that guy certainly I'm not. You know? yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, uh, but uh, you and Ron must be the only couple who was who got together then who's still together now. Okay, well, I don't want to reveal who the person was out of me, but what I will say is that my roommate who added me started dating Ron's roommate and they have been together since and are married with two children. So we we both have been together for 20 years, both couples, the outers and the gay couple. Jesus. Wow. Very strange. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I don't blame you for never speaking to him again, but I also am just so like morbidly curious what would happen if you were thrown together into a situation with him. Your own like I, Virginia Wolf night with these two couples. The, the best feeling I had actually, I'll tell you, was um, about a year ago. Um, well, I'll take it back a little further. When, when I was just transitioning into high school, I was talking to a former friend from middle school. And I was telling her how depressed I was and how hard it was. And her response was, well, why don't you just kill yourself? And I don't know what her reasoning was behind that. I know she was a friend. I don't think she actually meant any harm or maybe she was suggest. Honestly, I don't know where that was coming from. I don't know why you'd ever suggest that to anyone. And again, to a vulnerable teenager, that's really, really painful. And I'll never forget that. And I had, um, I've had, you know, some success, um, that has gotten some press in the past few years and it's felt really good. And I've done some really good work um, on some, some wonderful projects and some projects featuring LGBTQ actors and characters. And um, this one article came out uh, in the advocate and I it was, I was so proud about, you know, being a, a voice for this community. And so I posted not anonymously, but I like, like hit her name on my Instagram um, her message to me, that came last year saying, I'm so proud of you and all you've accomplished. I'm like happy to call you my friend, something to that effect. And I said, I remember when you told me to kill myself and then like swipe left and I put a picture of myself from the advocate, like standing like, standing like this. And it says like, uh, David Rappaport is a hero to like LGBTQ plus like trans people and like has changed people's lives. And it was, it was such a proud moment, not only to, for myself to see how much I've grown, but how much I had connected myself to the gay community and accepted myself and then use that as, as a superpower to my strength. Mm. And to say, I don't, you know, that didn't break me then. It won't break me now. Look how strong I was and look how strong I am now and how proud I am to be gay. Um, you know, it just, it, it was such a, a big moment for me to realize how far I had come and I, I felt really good. And again, it and was a little, a little bitchy and I could have been well, like a little less dramatic, no. but you know, yeah. but um, you're a gay superhero. I mean, you have to throw shade as like, only a gay superhero can. You got to go for it. Yeah. Did you ever hear from her after that? Oh, she, I mean, she has been trying to befriend me ever since. Um, you know, I think that's, that's normal and natural for a lot of people in the business who kind of make it, so to speak. Um, she said she didn't remember telling me to kill myself, but it's one of those things I would never forget. Um, so, you know, I don't, again, I really, I was having fun. I don't hold too much anger against her or any anger. I should say, I I don't know where her head was at then, but I've certainly, you know, have let go of that. Um, and it felt really good to, you know, to let go of it publicly also. (laughs) You seem incredibly emotionally healthy for having had (laughs) some uh, wild shit happen. Well, I've had a lot of therapy. I've yeah. had a lot of support. You know, I look to a lot of my gay friends. We've all had a lot of shit happen to us. And I think that's 
Um, that's how we survive is sharing those stories with each other and, and really feeling like a community. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be here without my, my gay family, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you and Ron were together for how long before getting engaged? We were together. Oh my God. I was so desperate to get married. We were together for, I want to say, I'm going to get this wrong. Maybe like seven years we lived together. And I started like leaving wedding magazines all around the house and there were no gay wedding magazines at the time, yeah. just wedding magazines. And I'd be like, oh, I'm looking at the, yeah, like brides, like I'm looking at the dresses. <laughs> and he finally got the hint. And, um, I think I wasn't working at the time and he was like, look, you need to get a job and then we can talk about getting married. And it was over Christmas and I had literally like just before Christmas booked a job. And so right after Christmas, I proposed to him and I said, I got a job. Let's get married. Let's do it. Um, and that was that was in 2000. Oh, God. I want to say 2014 or so. We got married in 2000. Nope, that's not true. 2012, we got married. So probably like 2011. Mm. Yeah. And, and where did you get married? We got married in Provincetown at the Red Inn, um, oh. right at the tip of Cape Cod. Right. It's, uh, for those who don't know Provincetown, it's sort of like... Um, it's a gay Mecca for Massachusetts. It's like a gay town right on the water. There's all different kinds of people, shapes and sizes and ages. And it's just, um, it was an artist colony and there's just, uh, there's an amazing sense of energy and, um, community there. And I think hopefully one day we'll end up back there. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. Then just curious, what were you, can you describe if there were like wedding photos, what you guys looked like or what the uh, aesthetic was? I think we must've told you this story already, (laughs) but like we thought at the time, I will say at the time, white men's suits seemed to be really popular. And so we thought we would both wear white men's suits, but instead of getting them tailored, they were kind of baggy on us. So first of all, we looked like nurses wearing these like white suits. We dieted so hardcore we tanned so hardcore and got our teeth whitened so we looked like these like deranged oddly like tanned nurses with white teeth and like it's it is not a representation of us ever or like like how we dress or what we look like and i mean it was it was so bizarre and looking back on it like i you know it was one of the best days of my life obviously but um we're able to kind of laugh at it because it was a little you know it was a little silly i'm just obsessed with that image yeah we didn't, you know, we certainly didn't send, send uh, we didn't set out to be campy, excuse me, but uh, that's kind of what happened. So, you know. Yeah, I'm picturing you in PPE with uh, oh, with orange totally, skin. totally. You won't see a picture from our wedding around my house anywhere. We've hit them all, but yeah. And wh- no, where but is, I will see one. Where's the uh, conservative Jewish family with the whole thing now? Oh, they're unbelievable. They're my mom. Um, my mom surprisingly had the hardest time with it. And she, she didn't really see it coming for some reason. And my dad said to me when I came out, my biggest fear is that I would never truly know who you were. And I'm so glad that I do. And they, they have both grown in such leaps and bounds. My mom is um, involved in Keshet, which is a gay Jewish organization. Um, they are so in love with Ron, like sometimes more so than me, which is totally fine. Um, it's, it's never, ever been an issue since, you know, I think there, like I said, there was a, there was a learning curve. You know, I had, I came out at 25, so I had 25 years to kind of come to terms with it myself, and I still had healing to do. And I think within, you know, uh, a very short while, they they really were just, immediately they were open to Ron and open to the idea. They just had a lot of questions. But now it's, you know, it's not a, 
even a conversation it's, it's not a question it's they're really really wonderful i feel so blessed honestly that's beautiful yeah do you guys talk about kids um we don't because we don't really want them we're currently in the middle of talking about a dog mm-hmm. um i surprisingly want a dog ron doesn't so when you see him next time just like talk about how much you know how great Faye is and how much you love having a dog and maybe that'll help change his mind but um but no I think we're he'll be like yeah I remember when I was at your house and Faye like shat all over herself inside and it was disaster yeah okay don't bring up Faye but maybe just like <laughs> you know support the idea in general um yeah. but yeah no 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 kids I think um we have worked so hard throughout the years to really just focus on kind of bringing each other up and we've been together since we were basically kids since we were 20 years old uh, we're both 42 now and our being home is our safe space. You know, there's so much shit out there in the world and with work and we just strive so hard to uh, make that a place where we both feel safe, taken care of. And there's no like distraction whatsoever. Not to say that kids are a terrible distraction or unsafe, but for us, that's what sort of feeds and heals us is each other's company. And, um, you know, we've been, I hate to say enjoying this time, I guess we could say enjoying this time during COVID because it's allowed us to spend time together that we never usually had. We used to see each other maybe two hours a day and I'd come home and we'd report about our day. He'd report about his day and then we'd watch some TV and go to sleep. And now we're home together all day. We're having breakfast together. We're having lunch together. We're taking walks and um, we're connecting and communicating more than we ever have. So in, in some ways it's been really great. You know, it's a terrible, terrible time, but it's been a good bonding experience for us. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. David Rappaport, you are uh, an angel, and I really appreciate you doing this. Oh my God, thank, I'm so excited to be here. You guys are the best. I love, I love this. So I appreciate oh, you having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for yeah. being here. And you're just one town over. So anytime you want to come over and meet our dog, oh, good to know. Great. I, I will take you up on that. There's <laughs> a frisky little teddy bear who will, uh, who will he, melt. Even the ice yes. What kind of dog is it? He's a Wheaton Terrier. I don't know what that looks like, but I'll look it up. Yes. He's a Muppet. It's literally a Muppet. Oh, really? Ron, yeah, Ron will fall in love with them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. We're, yeah. we're making this happen. Operation awesome Dog is my, go. my thing, but yeah. But I love, I'll, I'll send my love to Faye and good healing vibes to her. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. She appreciates it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting me wear my P-Town shirt, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving me a reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T. Mm -hmm. Our our producer, thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh Thank Um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, Tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. Mm -hmm.